This is RDQI. A career change is probably one of the scariest experiences you can have. This week, Ryan and I discuss some experiences with our own career changes, and we talk about when do you really know when you should make a career change. Stay tuned to today's episode after a word from our sponsor. Is dipping it once not enough? You're looking for the double dip, aren't you? Well, come on down to Chicago Dales. We don't dip our beef just once, but twice. Yes, that's right, twice. Why is that? Because you get more au jus. That's right, Chicago Dales. Come on down, we'll dip your beef twice, and you'll be splendidly happy. That's right, splendidly happy. Chicago Dales. Ryan, when do we know that it's time to change careers. Yeah, okay. Um, well, I think the first thing you got to figure out um, is why. Why would you change careers to begin with? And I know this is going to sound like a dumb question, like an overly obvious question, but a good place to start is asking yourself, why do I work? Now, for the overwhelming majority of us <clears throat> who are not independently wealthy, we like to, you know, have a roof over our heads and food coming into our mouths on a daily basis. So we usually work in exchange for our time to earn currency to then, you know, pay for a roof and buy some food. So that's some pretty baseline need stuff. But I think you also have to look into beyond those baseline needs. Really, truly, why is it, why is it that you work as a person? Um, everyone's going to have a different motivation here. So it's, you know, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, like for you, Dave, what's your underlying, I mean, obviously besides financial income, what's your underlying incentive for working at the job that you do work at? Yeah. And I, I recognize that, you know, I think for this conversation, I think it's important to recognize that many people do not have the luxury of even debating this kind of, this question. Sure. Of right? course not. Yeah. It's, it's pure financial reason. And, you know, they could do, if they could do anything else, they would, but they just, they just can't from a financial standpoint, which I think is something we should tackle at some point. But, you know, um, from a, from a, a standpoint where, you know, I, I largely choose to do the work that I'm doing. I have to do some kind of work, right? But, but I could do I could do different things. I mean, the underlying reason why I do what I do is I I just I really I enjoy it. I deeply enjoy it. Um, there's a you know I'm at a place in my career now where I have you know fairly considerable amount of expertise to lean on and a, and a certain mastery of certain things that I can be really effective and, and valuable in, in the teams that I'm on. And I can see the impacts of what I do at a very large scale. Um, it took me a while to get there. I, you know, I don't definitely wouldn't have had that answer all of my career, Sure, <laughs> but, sure. um, but, but it's that and it's, and it's continued growth too, right? Cause I've taken a couple of career changes in my life and it's been just to, to kind of broaden my horizons to, to expand my, my, my breadth of knowledge. Um, you know, cause there's, there's a fine line between mastery and stagnation. You have <laughs> oh to, man. You know, <laughs> man, isn't that the truth though? Yeah. I mean, so uh -huh. kind of to your first point, I mean, both you and I have, uh, bachelor degrees, um, Beyond that, you have some further letters behind your name in the form of a master's. 
Um, so mm-hmm. we clearly have <clears throat> entree into a different tier of jobs than, let's say, someone who doesn't even have a GED or just has a GED. Um, so that, to your point, it's entirely valid, very good to consider it that we're talking from a very unique perspective and it's kind of highbrow. But my first career out of college um, was it was an engineering background. I mean, I've talked about it a lot, um, audio engineering, working with musicians, mostly in recording studios to facilitate the production of their uh, albums and singles, etc. So I was I was an engineering guy for the first seven years or so out of college. Um, now, engineering, not in like the I'm going to go sit in the basement and, you know, draw uh, diagrams and CAD all day. It's more like, no, I'm in a recording studio that happens to be in a basement, but there's musicians around, so the dynamic's going to be a different vibe. So it's not like a full-on engineering job, so to speak. You know, it wasn't quite as much pencil pushing as, uh, if you'll excuse that phrase, it wasn't quite as much of that <laughs> as, um, you know, like... What's a pencil? <laughs> good point. So, um, so, but everything I was doing was technically rooted. So my engineering brain was constantly running um, because, you know, a musician, a guitar player might say like, oh, I want my guitar to sound different. I want it to sound more like, um, can you make it sound a little more crunchy or can you help me make me sound a little more crunchy? And then, you know, I'd talk to the guitar player, A, to figure out what the heck does crunchy mean to you? And then B, you know, just work with you technically um, to figure out how we can actually achieve that. And then I transitioned into very much just corporate America life. Um, worked for some major companies, two companies in in particular that everyone knows, whether they know them or not. Um, and in those roles, I was purely a sales professional. So, um, and both roles required some technical understanding of how the company work and how their product and service work to be able to deliver that information to the potential customer. Sure, but it wasn't anything like engineering level. So then I get to this phase where, you know, COVID, um, the pandemic sweeps across the world. I'm kind of given this opportunity to be like, well, I was working in an industry that's going to be severely harmed by the pandemic and um, I have an opportunity to switch teams, so to speak, if I wanted to. So what would I do? And so that kind of gets back to my original question, which is like, why do I do what I do? Right. So that's my background, engineering background with a sales professional experience under two co- two different companies, multiple years. So I'm like, what, 10, 11 mm-hmm. years into my professional career after college, and here's where I'm at. So mm-hmm. again, why do I do what I do? Fundamentally, I'm just fascinated by why, why people do what they do. Um, <laughs> like, I'm fascinated by how a guitar player comes up with that guitar solo. Um, I'm fascinated by why a songwriter writes the song the way they do, or I'm fascinated by why this business owner sets up their business this way and uh, um, whether or not they need a product or a service that my company can offer. Like that just always fascinates me. And it took me, honestly, it took me about six months to really figure that out in the past year to realize like, yeah, that is, that's kind of what I'm about. I'm just fascinated by why people do what they do. So from there, I was able to like kind of branch out, you know, sum it down to one focal point of like, okay, I really think this is why I work, you know, beyond the needs we've already talked about. So now that I've figured out why I do this work, now I can start to expand into like, well, where, how should I change how I work? Does that make any sense? 
It does. And it brings up I uh, my my you know the light bulb in my head is going off. Um I have heard a number of, you know, very successful people give interviews and the advice that they I, I hear over and over again <clears throat> is especially when you're young do not worry at all about having the job that you want or being fulfilled in your job. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting and it's advice that I didn't hear when I was starting out and I don't know what it would have done. But I mean when I when I first started out I I got a job because I was, you know, that that's sort of what was um I don't know. I was I was sort of being pushed or led towards that. Um and I was, you know, kind of pretty unhappy for <laughs> a lot of my early career. Um because you're you're learning in like in in a very painful way. <laughs> I mean oh, where yeah. I started, I it was rough, um, as you know, because we spent a lot of nights together, me just pretty much complaining to you. <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, it, it all sort of paid off in the end. But, but that's such a, like a good thing to kind of center on. You know, you, you don't necessarily know what you want. I think that's the biggest. There, there are very few people who get out of high school or get out of college and they kind of they just know exactly what they want to do. You know, you you had an idea, but it's also like over the course of the last ten years, you're that idea is you know it's not that it's it it's still correct, but you're kind of shifting what that means in a really profound way. Um, and same thing with me. I mean, I happened into you know after after doing a number of different things, happened into a role which I just. I just really love and I'm only here because all the work and all the experimentation that I did in, in different types of roles throughout my career and, and different, like pretty substantial leaps in terms of, you know, doing different functions and and different things and all that stuff kind of culminates into the expertise that I have now. So, a lot of uh, you know the the idea of of kind of developing your career is is also sort of just trying new things it, you know expanding your scope of knowledge um you know the, some of the like the, the the job that will fulfill you more than any other job in the world you might not even know exists yet until you yeah. start trying different yeah. things or i mean i mean in the let's say the epoch we're living in post you know internet boom how many jobs are being job titles are being invented year over year over year, just like new things that need to be done by someone. Um, yeah. What was a data engineer 10 years ago? <laughs> right. A data engineer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. Anyone in the artificial intelligence sphere was, it was such a nascent, well, it still is, but it was such a nascent uh, field. Yeah. I mean, and that, and obviously I guess, I don't think you and I are really trying to give advice necessarily through this show, but you know, kernels of wisdom, well, wisdom, <laughs> kernels of advice maybe at the most, but not to say, cause I totally agree with you that like a wealth, a diverse background of experiences is good. It's not to say, Hey, treat yourself like a pinball machine and just bounce around left, right and center. That might not be the most constructive way to do it. I can give a good example. Um, yeah. First of all, we're not giving advice. You should not follow what I do. <laughs> or say I'm just <laughs> so why would you even listen to this interesting question um <laughs> that's on you audience um so I I was working in in the finance world I left the finance world and I moved to the Czech Republic to teach English 
um, for a number of reasons we don't really want to have to get into. Maybe someday. It's a long story. Um, yeah. Yes. So, I mean, I, I joked, I traded numbers for words. Um, and I was never a strong public speaker. Looking back on, on who I was now, I realized that I had the, I had some, um, some aptitudes for public speaking, but I thought of myself as a terrible public speaker, um, particularly in finance. I mean, it's, uh, finance and speaking and writing don't tend to go hand in hand, right? Um, <laughs> it's pretty rare to find a, a finance professional who's a good speaker. Um, but when I, you know, spent that time teaching and teaching classes and, you know, really not public speaking, but basically doing the same thing and kind of perfecting that, um, you know, my, my speaking ability. Mm-hmm. When I came back from that, I went back into the finance world and I realized, holy crap, I am a really, really good speaker. And I can take these financial concepts in the same way that I had to learn to take, you know, grammar concepts and, and distill them down to the essentials and explain them with enough enthusiasm and excitement to get the listener to say, Hey, okay, this is interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. that is, you know, that, that wasn't my intention. I didn't go to the Czech Republic because I'm going to learn how to be a public speaker through this very roundabout way of teaching English. It just happened, but it happened because I just put myself in a completely different experience Mm -hmm. where I knew nothing and I had to learn it. So you entered into a new field in a foreign country as it were too and you developed mm-hmm. or you know yeah you developed a new skill set essentially um at least for, through yep. a different discipline and then you ended up back in the finance world and you were able to take all those skills you had developed through the discipline of teaching a foreign language or teaching english as a foreign language and all of a sudden all that skill set maybe not all but most of it gets transferred over to the finance world that makes sense to me. I mean, I, I could tell you that if, you know, I, so I, I you know, oddly enough, I kind of do, I work in the same general area that I did when I was right out of school in a different capacity and it's, some things are different, but a lot of it's the same. If I had just stayed in that world, I wouldn't be nearly as effective as I am today because of that other experience. Mm, yep. Man, that is, that is the truth. So, so last week you mentioned uh, how much you're like every human being should work on a farm because it'll change their perspective fundamentally on what it means to be a person (laughs) or essentially um Mm -hmm. but really more so to change your perspective on where food comes from and myself and i actually stole this from my wife wholeheartedly but i'm very much of the opinion that everyone should work in the service industry (laughs) for at least a year (laughs) You know, kind of like, you know, military conscription, like South Korea or Israel or Germany or something like that, where you have to go to the military for a year. No, forget that. You mm-hmm. don't have to join the military. You just have to go be a barista or you have to go be a server at a, you know, a breakfast restaurant, like something like that, where you just put up with the worst of humanity day in and day out. And that's your job. Um, because, man, that skill set's so valuable. And that's always been a part of my work. I mean, you and I, like... I started working as a caddy as a little kid, you know, what I would do, I'd mm-hmm. carry some rich we doctors, yeah, carry some rich doctors bag around, put up with their banter. And I, sp- I think I spent s- almost seven or eight summers at that country club and I was a caddy. I worked in, you know, on the, like the tennis pro shop side. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, and, yeah. And you know what's hilarious is I see the customer service skills that I learned from, from you know, that experience translate into my professional work today, oh, hands yeah. down. I can think of probably three examples today <laughs> that, you know, I, I was a, I employed some very, you know, tactful customer service to, to, you know, calm some people down. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're 14 or 15, which is, I think about the age you and I started in this general work area. I, I was 13. I think you would have been too, because we started yeah. at the same time. So yeah, I mean, age. when you're 13 and you're trying to figure out how to handle a customer service situation, and then you meet someone who's never had to deal with a customer. They've only ever been a customer until like they get into college and realize, oh, I want some spending money. I'm going to go be a, a server at a restaurant. The two different footings of those two people are so, so incredibly different. Because, man, customer service mm-hmm. is the worst. <laughs> it is, people are terrible. <laughs> you know, I love them, uh, but they yep. can be miserable. Yep. And sometimes yeah. I'm the one who's being miserable to the customer service representative. I won't deny that part, but it's amazing how those experiences really do um, translate and can be seen. I even remember, so I, I have an uncle I usually hit up for advice on um, career stuff. And one of the best pieces of advice he took me, told me is I was talking about this job that I was going to take. This is um, like my first sales job, essentially. I was saying, mm-hmm. I really don't want to do it. It sounds it sounds terrible. It sounds like a, a rough gig. And he's like, yeah, oh, it is. He's like, there's no no denying that. I know what this role will be like for you. It will be miserable. He's like, but I can tell you that when I'm hiring people, if I've seen them work at a company like this, doing a job like you would be doing, if they could even make it to, let's say, a year in that role, I would know so much about that person, Right. Because it was a call center. I'm just smiling and dialing all day, right? So he's like, look, (laughs) this is going to be rough. It's going to be miserable. But there will be people who will potentially be your boss or your boss's boss who will look at that and be like, I know that if you can make it through that, you can do a lot else. Just kind of like if you, you know, if you have a... I mean, you might have a, a medical degree and, you know, no offense to, let's say, like, I don't know, um, Illinois State University. I don't even know if they have a that kind of a medical program. But if you had like an Illinois State University trained doctor versus a John Hopkins trained doctor, mm-hmm. someone hiring those between two doctors is probably going to lean towards John Hopkins. So when my uncle was telling me, he's like, look, this is going to be a terrible experience. But what it looks like on your resume is something closer to John Hopkins in terms of being like, you will put in the work no matter what it takes, sort of a, a mentality. And it was some really yeah. incredibly good advice. It was a miserable time. It was very terrible. But man, am I so much better for it. Oh, yeah. That's, I mean, that's super common. Like, I'm, you know, I was an accounting major in, in college. And, you know, accounting majors, they, you know, they, they try and push you to one of the big four accounting firms as an auditor. And those roles are brutal. I mean, you know, especially during busy season. I mean, you're this is like the, you know, you're sleeping under the under your desk, you know, you're working <laughs> twenty hour days, you're mm-hmm. working every weekend. Like that it's, it's a terrible, terrible role. <clears throat> but to your point, when I'm looking at resumes, and I, I did not go that route, um, for various reasons. But when I'm looking at resumes, if I see somebody, you know, on at one of the big four firms for you know a couple of years especially one of the big four firms and they got promoted i mean i like already i have a baseline expectation that man this person can 
deal with anything. <laughs> mm, right, right, exactly. Especially that promoted little tag in there, you know? Like, that That really does yep. indicate a lot. I mean, here's what's funny, is it doesn't necessarily indicate anything. I mean, honestly, like the reality of the situation. Having said that, if you're looking at a piece of paper and that piece of paper defines someone's work life, and for some reason we call that document a resume, like, and that's all you have to go off of, and you have 10 applicants, well, then, of course, that little difference is going to be so incredibly important to you, the hiring manager. I, I mean, I'd go so far to say, like, in my example, I would hire, I would, I wouldn't like to, but, I mean, if I, like, I wouldn't feel horrible about hiring somebody sight unseen who had gotten promoted at a big four firm. Now, would you call their because reference? Because that tells me... Well, okay. Like assuming that it's true, and yes, they're, they're, you know every comp- every big company does background checks and calls for reference. Not references; they just validate employment. Like you validate that this piece of paper is correct. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if it's if it's correct, you know what that tells me is like nobody gets promoted at a firm like that unless they have the work ethic to to do it. At the very least, I know that they're smart enough to succeed in this kind of firm. And they have the work ethic to work this crazy amount. Like I almost guarantee they will at least be moderately successful in, in hiring them to do what, what like, you know, in the finance world. Now that's like a bold statement to say, but it also kind of defines the power of, you know, something like that. And it also brings up, kind of brings me back to my original point is like, why do you work? Um, is a very important question to answer because when you're a hiring manager, let's say in your case, you are <laughs> completely delegating work through a job role. Like that's what hiring someone is. You're just delegating, right? So, <laughs> I mean, that question becomes even more in focus when you're making a hiring decision. Like why do I, Dave, work? Because when I hire potentially Susie or Johnny, you know, I'm going to make a decision and that decision ultimately will come back to the point of why do I work? Why do I perform any work at all? Does that, I mean, does that make sense to you? Do you think about it that way? If you're looking at, you know, evaluating how to construct your team? Or is that just weird? <laughs> Not real. I mean, honestly, when I, when I look at constructing a team, um, I... I mean, I think kind of in line with what you're saying, um, because I, I hire for a position that is by definition a stepping stone to something else, right? Nobody nobody hangs out as a financial analyst um, forever. Like that's that's not a that's not a career dead end or or somewhere you can just kind of sit and be. It's mm-hmm. a stepping stone. It's a learning. Okay, but there's there's two types of people. There's the there's the kind of people who are just like the ladder climbers and this is the path to something else that they want and those people are i mean almost always garbage um <laughs> well for your needs because right? they don't care they're, right. not, they're not they're not learning like they think they're learning but they're not really learning um and sometimes those people succeed for for other reasons but uh mm-hmm. for the most part no for the <laughs> most part they fail because they're just not smart like you gotta you, you can't move up if you can't prove that you can do the job where you are Yes, in most places. Um, but but, the, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But then the other people, like really the people that that succeed, the and and really what I look for in people is just an enthusiasm to learn. 
Like they know they're not going to be in this role forever, but they are a sponge and they want to soak up as much as possible while they're there and they want to do good work and they want to, you know, see an impact Mm -hmm. like at any level, you know? And I remember that, you know, when I was like, when I started in finance, I was thinking like, there's no way I'm going to be in finance for the rest of my life, but I still cared about what I did. You know, I still cared about the success of my team And, and that's what I look for. You know, and that brings up, I mean, the I mean, the hot corporate buzzword right now is all about adaptability quotients, you know, because first mm-hmm. we had intelligence quotients, which I'm really against IQ in a lot of different ways. It's a tangent, um, but it's a very arbitrary number assigned to someone. Anyways, moving on. So that is quote unquote science. And then you have the, you know, a couple of years ago, emotional quotient, your EQ that's actually really the better mm. defining characteristic of how you're going to perform at the business. And now the new one yep. is adaptability quotient, your AQ. That's actually really more, mm-hmm. you know, important for hiring managers to observe. But I I mean, you bring up a good point. Like in a, someone's ability to learn and adapt to the situation is really what the, I mean the workplaces that you and I are at, they absolutely demand that kind of a demeanor. Otherwise, it's really yeah. hard to work in either of our spheres. In the company that I work for, I mean, they're kind of on the cutting edge of adaptability, but like they're even kind of pushing internally like, hey, you know, you want to stay in the same department? Fine. But you're going to switch teams consistently. Like mm. we don't want people to sit around and do the same thing day in and day out because, you know, you can do that for 15 years and you can know every in and out of the, your simple task. But as soon as we move you anywhere else, you fail because you don't, un, like, you just don't, every time you move, you get a better, taller, bigger understanding of the big picture. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And that just increases your adaptability quotient, right? Like, if you, you know, if you're a cog in the machine, you understand how to how to do that cog but the more you move around the more you get to know okay this is how the whole machine works so now you can put me in any of these situations and maybe i'm not gonna like i don't know everything right away but i'm gonna pick it up because i know where my inputs come from and i know where my outputs are going the thing is though the the greatest if i look back on my career the new experiences the the greatest periods of learning have always been kind of the worst experiences. You know, oh, I spent 100%. I spent 3 years on a on a intense intense problematic just chaotic uh project. And I worked with great people, you know, and I and I I learned a ton and I knew I was learning a ton and I was having fun too cuz the people were great but the work was awful. Like we were we were pushing a boulder up Mount Everest. That was really the challenge. <laughs> um you know, and it, and like the last year, especially I was, I was really miserable and unhappy. Um, and as soon as I went somewhere else, I realized that those three years probably equated to like 10 years of learning and experience every single day on that, on that project. I was, I was learning, but man, I was, you know, like, nothing accelerates learning like just getting the crap kicked out of you (laughs) Um, oh yeah so you know and and looking back on it now i think you know that was an amazing experience and i've grown so much because of it but if you had to if i had to do it all over again knowing what i know now would i i don't know 
<laughs> so, so how do you, you know, especially for the younger generation, cause I, I do a lot of mentoring and, you know, well, um, it, you know, how do you, how do you look at somebody and say, you know, the best thing you can do for your career is kind of get your, yeah, your butt handed to you. I got you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like put in put in your time um i had now put in your time that's yeah right right because right. there's a negative connotation to that well um, okay sure there's a negative connotation to saying you got to put in your time but anyone who's ever been on a sports team and had to join a new team let's say knows that they have to put in their time before the core group actually trusts them same thing in the business world same thing in any sphere of life like people don't trust you out yeah. the gate and so unless you have experience behind you and people can see that like you have predictable behavior like you're going to do what you're asked you're supposed to do we don't have to constantly ask you to do it it's hard for someone to actually trust you to you know to actually have autonomy in life or at work so mm-hmm. sure i get it it's a negative vibe to say you got to put in your time but i mean let's say that you got to get your sea legs i don't know is that a better way to phrase it you know we'll Will the wool community be more happy with that one? I'm not sure, but yeah, I, you know, I've never learned more than I've learned from my like personal failures, you know, and those aren't fun. You know, it's not fun to say, "Hey, I screwed this up," and just you know get chewed out and you know get torn apart by the your superiors and the, your stakeholders. But you know, every single one of those was a learning opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of when we were talking to Lindsay last. You know, bombing on stage as a comedian. It's 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 workshopping, basically, is what she said, if I remember correctly. Which is to say, mm-hmm. if you're a comedian, you are constantly exposing yourself to the fact that you will fail. <laughs> constantly, over and over and over again. So who better to learn from than a comedian, in terms of work ethic? Isn't that kind of a weird thought to keep in your head, though? I mean, because we're, you know, like, where I am right now, I'm, I'm you know, doing really I, I don't have very many failures anymore um Ooh, you know, that's but a ba- at some that's point that's a bad sign I'm, to me then because if you're not failing then you're not necessarily pushing the limits anymore you're within a comfort zone well yeah and you know is that the indicator of like and and the other thing is you know knowing what we know now mid-career to 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 you know go in to to throw yourself into something that you don't quite know um, knowing that it's going to be painful. I mean, when we were 20 getting out of college, we didn't quite realize that it was going to be as painful as it was to get to where we are now. Mm-mm. No, not even close. It, it's a hard, <laughs> it's a hard thing to understand that now and to just still go forward anyway. It's an even weirder thing to think about when you're graduating college listener, if you've just graduated or graduating soon, it's a weird thing to think about that. At least for me, I can say I've started to enjoy the painful parts of work because I've seen the benefits of them over about a decade or so now. So after seeing enough, like how painful and how toilsome life can be or work can be seeing the benefits now and being like, Oh, you know what? I'm willing to go through more pain and toil because I know it will pay off eventually. Like that's, that is true. I remember being up at one in the morning, like a couple days ago, putting together, you know, slides for this, this thing. And it was kind of a mess. And, and I, I remember thinking like, you know, I know there's a silver lining to this. I'm learning something right now. I don't know what it is. I have no idea what it is. This is miserable, (laughs) but I know this is going to pay off for me. Yeah. 
I mean, if you can bring that perspective to your day-to-day life, especially professionally, life will get a lot, well, I'm not going to say easier, but it might feel a bit easier. I mean, if you're happy with, you know, if you're happy in the knowledge at the worst points in your life that, you know, all these things are like the, the real low points are, are always helping you learn and grow. I mean, that's like, that's happiness to me. Yeah, I think so. And I, and I know this is going to sound so trite, but it really is the case that the journey is more important than the destination, usually. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, and I know it's so, like, that it's belongs cl- it's on cliche, some but poster. It's, yeah. <laughs> no, it's cliche, but it's it's cliche, but when you come at it from this angle, you know, you realize, like, huh, yeah. <laughs> well, and the reason it's cliche the, the is because it's so true. Right, right, exactly, exactly. And we don't we don't necessarily understand that truth a lot of times. You know, we hear it. We hear that all the time. But when you really understand it, you're like, oh, yeah. It's almost profound, even though it is cliche. Which kind of brings us back to the beginning of, like, how do you know when it's time to make a career change? Which is to say, if you've spent time looking at why you work, which is kind of what we started off with, like, why do you do what you do? Um, and if that lines up with um, what you're doing, that's great. Maybe it's time to change direction so you develop your understanding in the direction you're headed. You know, like, uh, for instance... Um, I started my coffee career as a barista. I was pulling shots, making lattes for customers, and eventually um, I became the roaster of the coffee operation, or the assistant roaster, technically. So then, instead of just being a barista, I was I would do barista four days a week, and then one day a week I would do the take on some coffee roasting responsibilities. So if, if there's a way mm-hmm. to change your angle of approach at the job you're doing, you know. Um, connect to a different branch of the company you're in or whatever it is. Um, then it's a good way to develop your understanding. Cause I mean, I didn't know that being a barista and then being a coffee roaster was going to be important to me at the time. I was just curious and I like coffee. I liked it. I still love it probably too much, but I ended up almost a decade later getting a career, a short term, I should say job inside the coffee industry. But if I didn't have those barista and roaster experiences, my resume would not have made it to the right hands. And I wouldn't have had that that job opportunity. And I didn't know like when I was, you know, like, hey, you know, hey, boss, can can you teach me how to roast? I didn't I wasn't thinking like, oh, man, because I know I know in about seven years when I live in Chicago, not Nashville, Tennessee, this is going to be really good on my resume. Like I wasn't thinking that. Of course not. You can't know that. So if, if you see something, maybe this is a good piece of advice about how you know. If you see something else that is so appetizing to you that you want to pursue, go try it. Like, don't quit your day job, but like go try it. And if it keeps you up at night or if you keep thinking about it, then it, odds are you probably are interested in that line of work. And then you really have to ask that question of why do I do what I do and see if it's kind of time to switch direction. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said you you did you did the barista the coffee work because you were curious. Well, really, I was a, I a barista because they offered work in the mornings, and musicians don't wake up until well, after sorry. noon. So, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> the barista roasting, was my the morning gig. Piece of it. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> 
but you you followed your curiosity and maybe i mean that's sort of the 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 guideline for a, a happy career and i think it answers our question too of when do you know when to switch well i mean right now in my role i'm still so curious about so many different things but I think when I've switched or when I've been unhappy, it's because the curiosity was sort of extinguished. I mean, maybe, you know, is the answer just follow your curiosity? Yeah.